Hey everybody, Doug here. Before we get going with this week's episode on the Beatles, I wanted to let you know about a cool new feature on the show. If you follow us at Nostalgia Marcanum at Instagram, I will be posting bonus reels there every week to go with each episode. So there's one there now for last week's episode on Rugrats, and there will be one this week for this episode on the Beatles, and so on and so forth. So really looking forward to sharing that stuff with you. Again, just go to Instagram and look up Nostalgium Arcanum. It's the only thing spelled like it. So uh, sign up for that and uh, enjoy. All right, on with the show. Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Arcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles! There has never been an artistic group, act, uh, work, quite like today's subject, the Beatles. They are, you don't need me to tell you who the Beatles are, they're the biggest band in the history of music. Every bit of music that came out during their reign and afterwards owes a debt to them in some way, shape, or form. It is hard to think of another artist that dominated their medium more than the Beatles and probably never will again. I'm really excited to talk about this subject today, and I'm glad I brought in two people who know a lot more about music than I do. You remember him from our episode on Grunge. He is a member of Lost Moon Radio, a a fantastic comedic band uh, and performing group that's well worth your time. Go seek them out wherever you can find them uh, and their stuff on YouTube, or uh, they also had a podcast for a while. Go get it. They're awesome. Please welcome back to the podcast, Dylan Riss. Hello. And uh, returning from our Power Ballads episode, my brother-in-law, Kyle Lieberman. Hey, Al. So, uh, Kyle, I'm going to throw it to you. This was your your pick. You said you wanted to do the Beatles. I think it's a great pick. Uh, tell us why. Yeah. Um, so, good to, good to hear everyone. Good to be part of this. Um, so, I've been a musician going back to when I was a kid, early 90s, writing music, recording music, playing it live. And I've always recognized the Beatles as sort of the creators of modern pop rock. I mean, like you said, Doug, no, I mean, they started everything. Their melodies, their song structures, their key changes, uh, George Martin's production, all of it to me is just off the charts amazing. I think anything that came after that is basically a copy of the Beatles. Uh, My love for them goes back to the early 80s, listening with my parents to the really early Beatles stuff. Um, I noticed the strong melodies very early on. As a six-year-old, I'd be be humming, humming their stuff. Um, as I got older into the 90s, I, you know, I kind of uh, got more into music and more like Sgt. Pepper's and White Album and all that stuff. I, I started to learn more. So I really started appreciating it more then. Um, everything they've done is amazing from Please Please Me all the way through, you know, their experimental uh, magical mystery tour type stuff. Um, so I'm really excited about this. It was really difficult for me to come up with a top 10 list. I know that we're going to we're going to go through that in a second. I don't know if you want to go 
put our reasons together now, Doug. I can say it if you like, or we can we can wait. Well, let me get. Uh, let me. I want to hear about Dylan's uh, experience with him, and then we can talk about the criterion we use to uh, to come up with the the list. So, uh, yeah, Dylan, where do, where does your uh, experience with the Beatles? Yeah, I think the Beatles were um, the first rock band that I liked. You know, that I remember being a kid, and and I think my graduation from. Um, you know, children's music to uh, grown-up music or whatever was two artists. The the other was Billy Joel, but uh, but the Beatles were the other. Um, I do think it's interesting in that regard. A, a lot of kids like the Beatles, and that does speak to um, their sense of melody because that's usually you know the three components of music: melody, harmony, rhythm. Melody usually comes you know first to, to somebody who's learning to grasp music and. Um, and so uh so that that is interesting about their their kid appeal but then there's obviously a lot to appeal to um adults as well including you know some of the uh you know all the other components whether that's their lyrics or also um some of their harmonic ideas i wouldn't say they were rhythm pioneers but they were um but but certainly bringing some new harmonic ideas to to rock music and um yeah and who can who can deny those melodies and those lyrics and just just you know so at any rate that's sort of where it came from and then when i got a little older i started liking other artists as well but there was definitely a period where pretty much uh music for me meant either the beatles or in my case also billy joel yeah i i uh, you know we're all the same age roughly and so our parents are all boomers and grew up with the Beatles. You know, lived through Beatlemania. My mom uh, was at Shea Stadium for that concert. My dad was at the concert at, um, oh gosh, their very first concert in America. Was that Carnegie Hall? Um, I forget where they performed, but. Um, their first outdoor, st- their, their first big concert was in Washington, D.C., D.C. Stadium. Well, whatever that, that first one, yeah, whatever that first one was in New York, that famous one, uh, my dad was there for that. And so the, you know, it was a big part of their lives. And so not surprisingly, it was a big part of ours growing up. My first exposure to them, I think, was probably watching Yellow Submarine. I remember watching that movie a bunch and being enamored with it. Uh, My parents have told me, I don't remember this, but apparently in preschool, I was teaching uh, these two other kids to do the backup on that song on Yellow Submarine. (laughs) Uh, So I, I definitely grew up loving them. Uh, and like you said, grew to appreciate the more complex part of their their careers. As I got older, you'd listen to something like the like as a kid, the White Album didn't appeal to me. And as I got older, I was like, oh, I can see kind of what a weird deconstruction this is. But yeah, as, as you said, it all comes back to I think the fact that they are such good melody writers that the you know to have one song with a melody as good as one of these songs is you know like you're lucky if you can come up with something like that. And for them to come up with hundreds is just a testament to the incredible talent of, of these four guys. So with that, I will get into all of the kind of the little details of like why these songs are great. What, as, as you alluded to, we created a top 10 list, each of us. So we're going to go through, cause we could talk about the history of the Beatles and stuff, but there's, there's not much more to say. It's all been said. So uh, I'm curious. So Kyle, what criterion did you use to create your list? Yeah, it was so difficult. I mean, Beatles, I've gone through phases where I like different songs. So to like, think about there's first off, there's what's the best Beatles song. And I don't think I'm qualified to judge that. Um, But so I kind of took it as favorite. But since I've been listening to the Beatles for 30 to 40 years, it was kind of hard to say like, okay, so when I was a kid, Let It Be might have been my favorite song, but that song's overplayed. I still love it. It's still one of the greatest songs ever written. 
but I wouldn't say that it's in my top 10 as of late. So for me, my criteria is what lately have been Beatles songs like the last 10 years that I've been really into. Okay, cool. Dylan, what, uh, what did you use to try and judge this? Um, I tried to have a diversity of, uh, Beatles, uh, you know, contributions, whether that could be something that was a hit and maybe change the idea of what like a hit song might be like or, or, or something. I, I really leaned into things that maybe had a theme of innovation, that this was something that was different. And if not for them, you know, who knows when popular music would have gotten some of these ideas. So that was a big thing for me, I think, because again, yeah, like the best, what a subjective concept. I don't, wouldn't even know where to begin, but in terms of like, significant i guess that was a big thing and you know personal personal enjoyment obviously yeah it's interesting i think my my approach is kind of a synthesis of both of yours where i i again i wanted to make sure i had diversity so i wanted to make sure i had songs from all of the different eras of their career i wanted to make sure i had all four of them represented you know there was one song from at least each of the four Beatles and try and combine that with yeah songs that were either, I think, yeah, innovative, important, and, or were just ones that I personally really, really liked. So um, this is going to be a very interesting co- compare and contrast here between the three of us. So um, Kyle, I'll throw it to you first. What is your number 10 song? Sounds good. I will start it off. So Dylan mentioned the word innovation, and I think that's kind of what kicks off my list. Um, although if you listen to this song now, you're not going to, no one in the world will think that this is innovative, but if you go back to, I guess it was early 64 when they played the Ed Sullivan show. That's, this is, to me, this is the song that kicked off their career in America. It also kicked off their career in my brain because I remember listening to the song as a child and just humming it over and over again. And I just wanted to keep listening to it because I thought the melody was just so great. Um, I Want to Hold Your Hand is my number 10 song. <laughs> glad you said said it because i think one of us had to have it on their list for sure Mm. you're right i mean this is the launch pad for their career i mean they were already starting to take off but you know we dylan we we did that episode on grunge and like we talked about how important smells like teen spirit was yeah this song is probably the single most important song in the history of music in that like i can't think of another song and, and teen spirit comes close but this is a nuclear bomb level of like a song that literally reshaped music. I totally agree. I mean, te- smells like Teen Spirit. Me, I mean, when that came out, I was like fourteen. So for me, that was the biggest bomb drop music of my life. Because when that came out, hearing those four chords, I came right out of listening to Warrant and you know Winger <laughs> like six months before that, and all of a sudden, boom. So for me, I think smells like Teen Spirit has a bigger impact. But going back to the '60s, I mean, you're right, Doug. This is a big giant boom of a song. Yeah. Dope. Yeah, uh on I mean, yeah, exactly. That 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 song is just um yeah, it it it's really a timeless song. It it it's still, you know, here we are. It's almost uh, 60 years later and it's it's still great. People still want to hear it. You know, I think uh, another testament to how like good and influential it is is I think about uh, the uh, the film That Thing You Do, right? Mm-hmm. Which is about this hit song from the 60s. It's very clear when you hear that song 
that they're trying to do another version of this, right? That's the, mm-hmm. this is the template for that song. So yeah, great starting point. Um, Dylan, what is your number 10? Uh, my number 10 is a hard day's night. It's been a hard day's night And I've been working like a dog It's been a hard day's night I should be sleeping like a love But when I get home to you I find the things that you do Will make me feel all right You know I work all day To get your money Similar era And um, part of this is it's just personal to me because it was just one of the first Beatles songs uh my dad played on the guitar and I I remember liking just being uh, you know drawn to that and then um uh and it just it it just has some some interesting things that again would would be a little different from uh the rock singles that were coming out before then the the just you know the the instrumental section the solo in that is kind of kind of interesting and um and yeah, just it just it 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 simultaneously in line with what was popular at the time and something that just there was nothing like it before. I think it also you know when you pair it with the visuals from the film A Hard Day's Night, yeah. you know it's it is absolutely an encapsulation of that Beatlemania moment in time when literally they're being chased down the street um, mm-hmm. by hordes of fans. That that is a level of fame that. Uh, very few have ever achieved maybe Elvis and like Michael Jackson, but like, yeah, yeah, that, that kind of mania for sure. Like, and that it's that mania that produced all of the psychedelic stuff later when they couldn't go outside anymore and said, well, well then we, then our albums have to be it. Cause there's no touring. There's no live performing. So yeah. Hard day's night was definitely, I mean, when you hear that first chord, the jing, like, you know, it's everyone yeah. knows what song's coming. A great song. Yeah great album really it was 1964 it was i think right after they came to america they came out with that album and that's a great choice great great guitar solo everything's just so catchy in that song the chords are very basic i could probably figure it out in 10 seconds but that's not what it's about you know yeah. good stuff it's almost a punk rock song in some ways like it's very fast it's it's kind of got that that to it all right so my number 10 is one that nobody's ever heard of uh, which is rare for a Beatles song to think that no one no one knows this song because I, I put I mentioned this to Amy and she was like I've never what song is that I mentioned before my love of the Beatles started with Yellow Submarine so my pick is a song called It's All Too Much. by George Harrison. This is the song that closes that movie. And, you know, again, not one that's gotten a lot of radio play. Uh, you know, it's it's one that most people, I think, ha- don't know. Um, I think it's an incredible song. And again, paired with the wild, you know, shimmery, psychedelic visuals of that movie, um, it just, it packs a real wallop. And uh, I, I had to put this on the list just because if anybody's listening is like, you know, is there any Beatles left to go find that I haven't heard before? Um, this might be a hidden gem for you. So uh, that's why I picked it. Cool. I, I can't even think of that song. I know I've heard it because I've listened to all of Yellow Submarine, but I can't wait to listen back to this and be like, oh, that's that George Harrison song. Yeah. Yeah. It's at, at the very end of the movie. It's just this glorious explosion of like, you know, peace, love and happiness. So, 
that was my pick. Uh, Kyle, you're number nine. Number All right, nine. so number number nine, number nine is not my number nine. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's no one's number nine. So number nine is probably one of the more, I think, popular. Um, I'll just throw a, a precursor out there. You're not going to get Hey Jude or Let It Be or Yesterday on my list. All wonderful songs. But to me, this one kind of is in that category of amazing. In My Life from Rubber Soul. There are places I remember The harpsichord solo, it's so melodic. I could feel that song every time it's played um, since I first heard it when I was probably 10 years old. Uh, got to be on the list. Something from Rubber Soul has got to be on the list, and that's that's my pick. Yeah, that was on my list too, but 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 not in this spot. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I think it, that song often tops uh, the public's list of favorite Beatles songs. I think that, that one usually wins. I mean, it's a great song. It, it is a song about kind of that emotional... The emotional space that occupies in terms of just feeling like, you know, you're, you're looking back on, a, on fond memories like we're doing now. But like you think of how many uh, how many times has that song been used in like a graduation or, you know, even like a wedding or something when they like we're going to show a roll of like pictures of people and play this song. Right. Um, it's so universal. And yeah, the melody is so great. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a. It's a, it's a wonderful song and lots of cool studio trickery with that harpsichord solo, you know, played by George Martin. He he couldn't play it at that tempo and he did some tape manipulation and, uh, you know, by slowing it down, uh, and cha- which changed the key because it was tape, um, he was able to play it in a, um, you know, at a tempo he could do. And then he sped it back up and, uh, yeah, he was, he was, he was a wizard, uh, of, recording not just not just music i think his contributions to recording itself are sometimes underrated if, if that's even possible yeah especially when you consider he had to do that all analog right it's it's yep, all exactly. all uh Those duct tape and dental floss to make that work <laughs> uh, all right dylan you're number nine uh my number nine is because you know fits sort of the theme of being innovative and also <laughs> on the theme of like George Martin really enabling um their ideas i mean i think because it's it's a john song but but um but it was often the case um they relied on George Martin to sort of make something possible and so you know he's got this he's playing the electric harpsichord on that uh, there's a Moog synthesizer on it, which was sort of cutting edge at the time, you know, and, and there's a guitar and a bass on it and stuff. But it's, you know, the the, the um, 
the featured uh, <laughs> the featured instrument is of course their voices, um, uh, John, Paul, and George, and um, and Ringo's not on it, but um, but yeah, just very very innovative and 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 really do you know this was such a so emblematic of the Beatles, the studio band. You know they hadn't toured in a couple of years and never would again, and uh, this is the studio as an instrument and love this song and the fact that this came out on you know abbey road which is at the end of their career and they were still innovative at that point is is pretty pretty amazing you know yeah and i think you know this is one of those signs that like you know good artists kind of pushing each other like i don't think you get this song without the beatles pushing the beach boys to do better and them pushing back Mm -hmm. um you know because it's a it's not just a three-part harmony it's like a nine-part harmony on that yeah. song. The harmonies are nuts. Nut, nutty harmonies in that. I could not replicate that. Yeah, and it's why, like, I think that version of it that appears on the anthology where they take out all the harpsichord and it's purely a cappella. Because the sky is blue, it makes me cry. Because the sky is blue. It is really yeah. haunting. I remember they used that at the end of was it American Beauty? I think that's over the credits. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's yeah. just a really like it, it highlights how just sort of ethereal and sort of weird that song is, but it's cool. Yeah. Right. Well, my number nine is much more conventional because um, yeah. I went back to their uh, earlier days for this pick, but uh, I went with All My Loving. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you Tomorrow I'll miss you Oh, so good. Good choice, Doug. Uh, this, I love this song uh, when it showed back up as Green Day's Basket Case, um, but because it's the exact mm-hmm. same chords and almost melody. But I, it's <laughs> a, it's a great song, and it's just like I wanted to pick some, uh, make sure I represented their early, you know, again this early teeny bopper era of their career, because it's just I think just this is Paul doing his best. These really lilting melodies that just kind of go all the way up and all the way down and up and down. Um, he, he would write this much more lyrical stuff than than uh, George mm. or John would. It, it's such a good choice. All my love and almost made my list, guys. I mean, it was it was really hard. I mean, the fact that it's a very repetitive song, but the first verse is Paul, and then the second verse, I think John does a harmony on top of it. I, I think, um, but yeah, that melody for that song. I mean, that's one that will stay in your brain for your whole life. All right, Kyle, number eight. Number eight. Number eight. Number eight. Um, <laughs> so most of my songs are going to be towards middle to later Beatles, uh, but this one is one going back to the beginning of their career, a uh, very beginning off of their first album, Twist and Shout. that this song is on there is i mean i don't even think they wrote this song but no it it's it's john lennon's voice i think the story is and you guys will have to correct me if i'm wrong but they recorded please please me i think they did the vocals in one day and at the very end of their session 
John decided to lay down the vocals for Twist and Shout. So when you hear that song, you hear this like eh, like this rasp in his voice. And I just feel that every time. Like I just want to blast that over and over again. And of course, Ferris Bueller did too. Um, yeah, but I love Twisted. Yeah, that that is a great showcase for his voice. Which the, the John and the Paul screams are both great, but they're different. And and that's a great example of a John scream. Yeah, this one. Uh, it, it's, I'm glad you picked it. It is a it is a cover. Uh, it's probably one of the best covers ever done because of that kind of rawness to it. And it is emblematic of their early career, which was you know, when they were playing, you know, the Cavern Club and all of these little clubs throughout Europe, they would do mostly covers. And so yes. it was a big part of their set. So this would this really fits right in. In fact, those early albums, there's quite a few covers in those first few albums. So, yeah, great choice. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. Dylan, your number eight. My number eight is Rocky Raccoon. Rocky Raccoon checked into his room. To find Gideon's Bible, Rocky had come equipped with a gun to shoot off the legs of his rival. His rival, it seems. Uh, I'm talking about a song that the kids like, um, and you know, this is sort of more, you know, sort of a, a pastiche, sort of, sort of, sort of a winky song was you know it's paul kind of mocking an american country song but i i think it's it's very funny i i um i have mixed feelings on paul as a lyricist i think that there are times when he's great there are times when he kind of puts his foot in his mouth or whatever but 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 he he's very capable of being funny when he wants to be and i think that this um this song exemplifies it. It doesn't really sound like anything else that the Beatles did. Although Ringo was a country fan, and you know he has a country song, "Don't Pass Me By." But there's just something about this song that 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 it's a combo of like kind of a joke, but but it's it's really a good composition, and it's um, very fun and, and and evocative of you know sort of this American West that he's kind of poking fun at. You know, I, I feel that on this, a lot of the White Album songs are almost bordering on parody, like the way they sort of ape different styles. Yeah. And this one, and I don't know if it's, I believe this is true of this one, but they, they famously spent this sojourn out in India with a lot of other weirdos. And some of the songs on the white album are, you know, coded ways of making fun of some of these people they spent time with out in India. And I believe certainly, um, there's that whole song about uh, the Buffalo Bill, but it, sexy Sadie, that one too. Oh, Buffalo so, so Bill, sexy yeah. Sadie, Bungalow Bill. Yeah, yeah. sexy Sadie supposedly about the guy who was in charge of that retreat. Uh, I believe Bungalow Bill is about some guy on the retreat who was uh, to min- not miss words, a, a big pussy. <laughs> and that was what they wanted to make fun of him for. And I think Rocky Raccoon might be another one of these. So yeah, interesting choice. I like it. It's a fun choice. And it, for some reason it does kind of come off as like a kid's song. I, I don't know why Rocky Raccoon, maybe just sounds like it. Definitely kind of a storytelling kid country song. Yeah. All right. My number eight, you can also find in Yellow Submarine, although it's not specifically from that movie. Uh, but I think it is one of the best sequences in the movie in terms of it's just art direction. It's incredible to look at. Uh, and that is Nowhere Man. He's a real nowhere man sitting in his nowhere land making all his nowhere plans. Nobody doesn't have 
off of was it rubber soul rubber soul yes yeah and i just love i think the the melodic construction of it the chord progression is really good but the studio trickery that kind of turns just john's vocals into multiple johns that they just doubled them up and you combine that with kind of this it almost shimmers this uh the this sound of their voice um it's just an incredible showcase of harmonics so yeah i've always liked this one I, I agree. I mean, Nowhere Man's a great one. I mean, it's one that I tend to forget about, I think, because there's just so many other good songs on Rubber Soul, but the way the harmonies are, they come in, in the beginning. And it's another one of those songs where you can kind of just, you can feel it, you know? Yeah. All right. Kyle, you're number seven. Number seven. Number seven. Um, so we're going to Sgt. Pepper's. Um, last song on the album. Of course, we don't count the reprise of Sgt. Pepper's as the last song. <laughs> so I'm sure you guys both know it's a Day in the Life. Day in the Life is, I mean, this might be on my top on some lists, um, but the way, I mean, I think the big thing about this song, besides the fact that it's sort of telling a story, is that there's the two significantly different parts of the song. There's sort of the beginning kind of more ballady part, and then the end, which is a little bit more kind of jumpy, woke up, got out of bed. Um, mm-hmm. And I love any song that's kind of epic like that is always going to grab my attention. Um, so yeah, great song. Had to put this on the list. Yeah. I'll jump ahead, Kyle. This was also my number seven. Exact same song. Wow. Yeah. And for a lot of the same reasons, right? This, this is this, uh, they're known for their composition. And this is them one upping themselves by basically taking two different songs, merging them into one. And this features so many of the like psychedelic studio tricks they would be known for in this middle period of their career. It's kind of a magnum opus of that stuff. You've got, you know, you've got the studio weirdness. Um, you've got the like orchestral parts. Shit where it just gets real weird and loud. Yeah, there's, there's so much going on with it. Yeah. I know that Billy Joel, going back to you, Dylan, cited this as a major mm-hmm. influence on uh, scenes from an Italian restaurant, which is a, a yeah. you know, another multi-part song like this one. Yeah. All right, uh, so I'll go straight to you for your number seven. My number seven is Blackbird. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Take these broken wings and learn to fly all your life. You were only waiting for this moment to arise. This was a song, just part of it, just association with it. I just really uh, always, when I heard the White Album, I think for the first time, you know, immediately grabbed me, wanted to learn it on the guitar, just all, all the, you know, the, the, the usual stuff. And, and, um, uh, and I just think it's, it's a, it's a beautiful song. I, I love that, that the instruments are his guitar and then they put a microphone on his foot as he tapped. And, uh, that's sort of it. I think that this would be an example of Paul, like kind of like 
putting his own foot in his mouth over time. He's kind of changed over time what this song is about. And now he claims it's like entirely about like the civil rights movement and, and that a black bird is a black girl. Like it, it's kind of weird. And he didn't quite say that at the beginning, although he always said there's just something. This is an example of a beautiful song and also sometimes how his lyrics are a little bit clunky but 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 it, it's sort of beautiful in spite of himself sometimes so um uh yeah i i, I love this song and and um it, it really holds up even even when he sometimes <laughs> sometimes in, in in hopes of being righteous kind of comes across as a little bit like a rich old man from england I mean, this song, this is another one where I'm like, how how does a man, a, a single person just come up with so many great melodies? Yeah. And yeah, you're right. This is another home run melody from Paul that when a song is really good, it almost feels like, uh, or especially when a melody is really good, it doesn't feel so much like it was written as much as it was discovered. They're like, wh- mm-hmm. why did this song not already exist? Like it's the, the melodic yeah. construction is so perfect for this one. Yeah. yeah. And the acoustic guitar in it. I mean, I feel like I've heard, 10 people pick up a guitar and just play that song. Like mm-hmm. it's just so memorable. So memorable that kids just want to learn it. All right, Kyle, you're number six. Number six. Um, so I am the walrus is my number six. Probably not a lot of people's favorite song, but I think it's that hard groove in it. That I mean, the melody is great. The lyrics are way off the wall, kind of nuts. But it's just it's this boom, chas, boom. It's just this kind of beat that just kind of drags, and you just feel it pumping the whole time. I am the walrus just hits home every time, and then it gets to that middle part where it kind of gets like kind of stoned in the middle, where everything just kind of the orchestration kicks in, and sitting in an English garden kind of come comes, and then the end of it. It's it's epic. There are parts that repeat, but I Am the Walrus has got to be close to the top of my favorite Beatles song. This is uh, the story I heard about the like why the lyrics are so weird is that they are intentionally weird for the sake of being weird because they were getting a lot of crap about people trying to decode their lyrics and what they really mean. And so the story goes that John was like, I'm just going to give them something that is nonsense and see what people do with it to try and make sense of it. And uh, certainly if you see the visual part of this, if you've seen the any of the footage from Magical Mystery Tour, which I don't re- recommend watching. It's not a good movie. But as a music video, <laughs> as a standalone music video for this song, uh, it's pretty great. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Way weird on the like, Yeah. Again, this is right in the middle of that. Like, we're going to do as much weird stuff as we can, which I always liked. It was like, why, why not be weird? It's way more interesting and fun. OK, Dylan, number six from you. Uh, number six for me is something. Something in the way she moves Attracts me like no other lover Something in the way she woos me I don't want to leave her now Um, I wanted to get a George song on my list. This ended up being the only one on, on my list, but I, I do 
uh, although there were a lot that were close. But anyway, this this is a it's a beautiful song. It it uses some composition techniques that maybe the Beatles hadn't uh, done in, in other in other ways. You know, borrowed from some older music, and maybe that's why Frank Sinatra loved the song so much and covered it uh, quite a lot. And um, yeah, it's 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 uh, it, it's a beautiful song. It it it. Um, the lyrics seem, you know, rather sincere. I love the um, the very effective lead guitar lines that he that he places in there, sort of, you know, uh, responding to him his own singing voice. You know, um, it's it's he says, uh, you know, you know, I believe in how, and then he responds on his own guitar, and I think that's pretty cool. And um, yeah, and it's it's uh, it's great, and 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 the bridge section is very short and sweet, but it's very effective in terms of um, you know changing stuff. So something. What a great bridge, too. I mean, that's one of my favorite yeah. key change bridges of all time. You're asking me, will my love grow? I mean, I almost yeah. want to fast yeah. forward to that part <laughs> every time I hear that yeah, song. It's, it's just it's a beautiful, beautiful little bit. Yeah, this is one of those songs that sort of reminds you of like, oh, this is George Harrison is really underappreciated. I think in terms of his sure, contribution yeah. to the Beatles. And you can tell because his first solo album, uh, all things must pass. Um, if you have not heard it, like you, that might as well be the next Beatles album as far as I'm concerned. Cause like the others all put out good stuff. You know, there's, there's great solo stuff from all of them. Um, but this mm-hmm. one is, but that song feels like I've got, you know, five years worth of great songs that keep getting cut from albums for for George, for John and Paul and yeah. like okay now you're going to hear my sweet lord and you know all these other yeah. great great songs you know uh, yeah. beware of darkness is fucking incredible um yeah that's yeah so great choice uh, you know and I did I had the same thing I was I almost put this on my list as well I was vacillating between two George songs for my my number 6 slot um and I didn't go with something I went with a different one I went with my, while my guitar gently weeps I don't know how Someone controlled you They bought and sold over you I look at the world And I notice it's turning While my guitar gently weeps Which uh, features, I believe, Eric Clapton on this one yep. filling in there. Yeah. That, that's why I took it off my list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, he's been putting his foot hack. in his mouth as of late for sure, but the man can play. There's, there's no denying it. I'm going to, I'm going to rage as an objection, but go ahead. <laughs> the man, can, the man can imitate Albert King is what he yeah. can do. Anyway, keep going. Uh, I, I'm not here to litigate uh, Eric Clapton because he, he's, uh, he's proven himself to be a little bit of a shithead lately. No question. But, yeah. but the song, uh, but while my guitar really weeps is uh, again, this is, a, it's, there's like certain musical like spaces George likes to occupy and this one and um, something are kind of similar in terms of like their chords and, um, and that stuff. But yeah, it's just such a strong, like, a lot of the White Album is so weird, and this is, like, this straight-ahead, like, here's just a great fucking song for you to listen to and enjoy. Mm. I'm going to want to see some stats after this list, like, how many songs from each of the, because so far I feel like we've had, like, three or four White Albums, at least, it feels like. Yeah. Well, it's a double album, so it kind of skews the statistics <laughs> yeah, a little bit. True. All right, uh, Kyle, you're number five. 
All right, so my number five, it's interesting song. Um, I know you guys will know it. Um, so I picked this song because it's more recent to me. Like, I don't think I heard this song many times the first 30 years of my life, but the last 10 years I've probably heard this song, I don't know, say 20 or 30, 30 times, whereas of, you know, Hey Jude, I've probably heard 200 times. So I think <laughs> the reason that this song is on the list is because it's still sort of fresh to me, and every time I hear it, I just want to crank it up. Hey, Bulldog. Standing in the rain Bullfrog Doing it again Some kind of happiness Is measured out in miles What makes you think You're something special When you smile Childlike Oh, yeah. great choice. Yeah, this, is, this is one that It is off the Yellow Submarine soundtrack And it's not in the theatrical cut of the movie It was a deleted scene but it's a cool song. It's got that really like kind of thumping percussion to it. Yeah, it, that's that's way up there on the list of like songs that didn't get a wide release but are really worthy of some of the others. You know, I think of Sonic Rain in that category. But exactly. Like, but yeah, this this one is one that yeah, it's surprising that they you know that it wasn't either you know on an album or like a you know standalone single like they did with you know Strawberry Fields or something like that. You know. Yeah, it's just, uh, this is another one to go back to if you haven't heard this one, and you might not have, because it is buried on the Yellow Submarine soundtrack, and it's not even in the movie. Yeah. Uh, but it is a, a very cool song. I'm glad you picked that. I had not thought of it, but that's a great yeah. choice. Uh, all right, Dylan, you're number five. Uh, my number five is I Want You, She's So Heavy. Um, this song is just, it's such a mood. It's so, it's just so cool. Um, I don't know. This was just sort of, you know, John absolutely has an aggressive side to him. He has some unfortunate personal history involving his aggressive side, which might've been also why he then became so aggressive about peace, you know, but, but there's just something about this. There's, there's an intense burning to this song and, um, uh, particularly, really both both parts of the song the 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 um the two sections are just they complement each other in the in in the same way but there there's certainly a sense of menace in this song uh and it's really cool and it's a, it's a brilliant way i think to end uh a side of an album as as it does on Abbey road and yeah it's 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 really really uh wonderfully intense in my mind it's an interesting pick because yeah like the first half of it is this very bluesy but menacing yeah song and then it hits that she's so bam and you get this um just really angry jazz organ yeah and then it kind of just goes into this repeating kind of angry riff that just sort of goes for the next like couple of minutes that's is the entire song it's it's cool one of the things i would recommend if people haven't listened to it is the cirque du soleil uh love uh show they did this beatles cirque du soleil show and george martin himself was involved in remixing all of the songs, they don't just, most of the songs, they don't just play straight up. They're like interwoven with other Beatles songs together. And this one in particular, they, they remixed this along with like Helter Skelter and Mr. Kite 
and all of these kind of like mm-hmm. darker songs, and it's really cool. Like this is probably that's probably the best thing on that album. And Yeah, when I when I that came out, I was kind of like groaning, "Oh no!" But I actually really liked that album. Uh, that yeah, what you're describing is definitely a highlight of it. And yeah, because George Martin and then his son Giles, like they were really the driving force behind that. It wasn't just some record company executive who's like, "Ooh, this looks like more money we can make." It was it really had artistry. All right, so my number five pick. I went to Sgt. Pepper's and I wanted to make sure I got everybody represented. I had to have a Ringo song. So yeah. I went with uh, with a little help from my friends. How do I feel by the end of the day? Are you sad because you're on your own? No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Mm, get high with a little help from my friends. Mm, gonna try with a little help from my friends. Do you need... I just think this is such... I mean... It's like the happiest song. And it's not just that, like, I mean, there's a lot of Beatles songs that are like, you know, gee whiz, it's good to be happy. But this one, I think the the production really elevates it because you've got all the other Beatles kind of backing up Ringo vocally. Again, that kind of shimmery, uh, what they, that production where they would double the tracks of the vocals to make it sound even fuller. It just it, coming right out of the intro of, of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band into this song. It's just uh, it's just such an incredible way of showcasing. Like if you got a Ringo, and you know he's not the best singer, and, but you want to make sure he's in the album. Like you can't do any better than this. I think this is just such a wonderful yeah. song. You know, I wouldn't say this often, but and I like the song, so don't get me wrong, great song. But I like the Joe Cocker version from Wonder Years even better and it's not going to be too often someone covers a Beatles song and I'm going to get and you're going to get me to say that I actually like that song better but you're right Doug. it's a great song and it's a great transition from Sgt. Pepper's it just kind of leads right in like there's no break yeah okay let's go to number four Kyle all right number four I think I think we're back to the White Album, actually. Um, Happiness is a Warm Gun. Mother Superior jumped the gun. Mother Superior jumped the gun. love this song um i think the thing that i really like about this song is it's sort of epicness the way that it starts off and then it goes into this kind of bridge and then it goes to sort of this like 50s 60s chorus out to where it's all the oohs and ahs i don't think i've heard too many songs like that that encompasses like different styles but is also epic and doesn't have any parts that repeat themselves so uh, and i feel it's another one of those songs where just the kind of the drums and bass in the beginning whereas uh, uh, like that very slow beat is just uh, it's just captivating to me that's like it's like day in the life in miniature right you've got all these different parts to that song all sort of somehow lashed together in a way that makes sense yeah it's 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 actually yeah it's like a little sweet as opposed to a um you know verse chorus structure type of thing it's also 
it's it's one of the only Beatles songs that uses mixed meter, which usually it's John who's doing that, and and sometimes it's not really. It's just sort of how he feels. It, like across the universe has some extra beats and some of the measures and stuff. But but this song, it's definitely like rhythmically probably the the Beatles song that's the the most unusual. And and you know I don't know if that's just. It, it would have been interesting if they had tried to replicate it live because it's it's definitely. Um, it it varies by the measure, and I think a lot of it is just about like the the phrase he wants to get out, and that can have some extra beats or fewer or whatever. So it's interesting. Yeah. I think it goes. I think the time. I think it goes, it's like nine eight. I think it's a time signature. Part there. of it's nine eight. Yeah, it's there's there's part that's nine eight. There's part that you know that's uh, six eight measures. There's you know obviously four four, and like he you know there's a beat of five in there at one point. Um, but like he yeah, and I and again I don't know if um. Again, if it, like if it's intentional or if he's just getting these phrases out and that's how they end up. I think it might be the latter, but either way, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay, Dylan, number four. My number four is I Am the Walrus. Um, since we've already hit it, I will just you know say briefly like also this is another example of like john sort of driving innovation in this case you know much like happiness's warm gun was one that's one of the few ones that sort of mixes different meter i am the walrus they they don't have a lot of a lot of their big songs don't necessarily lean into key changes but this this song does have you know key changes in the different sections and i think that's really cool the the lyrics you know feel very lsd which would be aligned with where they were at that time period and and um the song to me again it just screams innovation they they could have made a full career of redoing versions of please please me and i want to hold your hand or whatever and they weren't interested at all none of them were um it's not just john who was the innovator i mean definitely not but but this is he was very in your face about okay i'm gonna do something different yeah and so well i am gonna jump back for my number four to that earlier era but i i wanted to pick a song that i thought was you know one of the more complex ones of that era so i went with help I need somebody Help Not just anybody Help You know I need someone Help When, when I was younger when So was much younger, younger than today I never, need, I never needed anybody's help in any way Now, but now these days are gone days I'm not so sad That song, I mean, every time you put that song on like You're like, okay, I'm going to have to listen to the rest of the song all the way through It's so good but it has essentially like two melodies for the price of one as you have, you know, when I was younger, so much younger than today. And then you have that backing vocal where it's like, I never needed it. Like the, mm-hmm. you really have two songs going at the same time, uh, winding around yeah. each other, which, you know, again, for that era of their career is pretty complex. Yeah. Yeah. What a great time for them. I mean, help was right in the middle, right? I mean, before you had hard days night and that stuff later on, Sergeant Peppers, but the whole help, Rubber Soul Revolver kind of era is really one of the best where you get kind of combination of both those stuff. And I mean, it starts off with help. I need somebody. But what is that? Is that the chorus? I don't think that's the chorus. I think that's kind of like they're starting with the bridge, right? Yeah, it's, I think they are starting with the chorus. Then they go into a verse. Um, but it's a little hard to tell where they begin and end because, like I said, you've got these these kind of two different vocal lines going in and out of each other. Yeah. Th- this song to me is a great example of them bridging their their 
past and their future. You know, I do hear their influences on this. I hear the Everly Brothers influence on this, you know, in a big way. They they wanted to call themselves the four Everly Brothers, you know, and I hear, you know, like a Buddy Holly influence on this. But I also hear a band that's going to, you know, do do things their own way and, and, and put their own stamp on rock music. And, and, and you really... You, you really hear where they were coming from and where they were going on this one track. Kyle, your number three Beatles song. We're down to top three. Here we go. Top three Beatles songs of all time. Well, maybe not all time. Maybe this week. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to Strawberry Fields Forever. Let me take you down Cause I'm going to Strawberry Fields Nothing is real And nothing to get hung about Strawberry feels forever I mean, pretty much everything, melody, chords, lyrics, it all just hits home. I think one of the main reasons why I put this on my list is because when I was 16, 17 years old and sort of learning more about the later Beatles stuff is I listened to this song in my headphones and I was just sort of mesmerized by what George Martin does with popping guitar in one ear and other, you know, drums in one ear. And then there's sort of this like, what's that instrument that they play on here? Is it a, mm. like a marimba or some sort of xylophone or something? Or I guess it's more of a keyboard. It's more of some sort of keyboard. But anyhow, listening to that in headphones is, if any listener out there who hasn't done that, I recommend Strawberry Fields Forever in, in the cans, in the headphones. There is so much going on in this song. Because, yeah, the straightforward melody of it, it's one of those songs that it's, it all, it's almost confusing. You listen to it and you're like, what the hell is happening? What am I listening to? And why is this so weird? I'm going to put a link to this in the uh, in the show notes. There's a, a YouTube uh, channel. It's really wonderful uh, called David Bennett Piano. He's um extremely knowledgeable uh, musician and, and t- he talks all about music theory and he breaks down lots of songs and uh, or or you know groups of songs and he did a, a video specifically on Strawberry Fields Forever where he spent like a half an hour breaking down just how weird this thing is there's like you know chords that should not exist and you know <laughs> the the music is like warped in such a way that sometimes the notes are actually not standard you know sharps and flats and and whole notes they're like in between those and uh yeah he gets like instruments to make tones in by uh playing with the recording that like that instrument cannot make and so it, mm-hmm. the the combined effect is just this dr- very dreamlike strange song i i absolutely love it i think it's incredible yeah some of that you're describing comes from them manipulating the tape speed and then they were interested in at this period and then even more so in in microtonality that comes from indian music and this is that was particularly a george thing and he's already doing that kind of thing on on some of his earlier contributions but then this is sort of where lennon and george martin get into that too and they create some of that those micro microtonal so, uh, sounds that are yeah so idiomatic to you know northern Indian music, but it's it's really cool to see that combined with some other stuff that still comes from their more straightforward pop melodic songwriting and, and just how it all comes together in this. Yeah, I think out of their weird stuff, this is the most listenable, um, but it's also I think the most ambitious and most complex. It's it's kind of the pinnacle of their psychedelia to me. Uh, it kind of reminds me of something like the Beach Boys' "Good Vibrations," where it's just like this is everything we're doing, like amped up to ten. Like this, the, it, you know, this is a, a grand slam of this type of music. 
Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Dylan, your number three Beatles song. Uh, my number three is uh, Happiness is a Warm Gun, which we already hit on. Um, so I'll just briefly say again, I like the the sort of the sweet nature of it um, as opposed to a traditional rock song structure. And, sweet, and, S-U-I- you know, yeah, lyri- sweet S-U-I-T. Sweet S-U-I-T. Yeah, no, nothing's very exactly, sweet like about a musicals. warm gun lately. <laughs> no, um, but very happy apparently. And, and, and apparently – John pulled that title from an uh you know NRA magazine um uh that was that was the title and you know they were always I mean he's already written about you know the Bungalow Bill actually Bungalow Bill is the same album but but just uh you know this this um bemused uh attitude toward gun culture um and um yeah I I just think that um again I mean what song was like happiness is a warm gun you know before that just nothing and and really nothing quite since although you can hear the influence on some people but this is just something that's like wow <laughs> what a what a what a one of a kind song um even within the beatles catalog so yeah great choice uh so our, original yeah uh my number three I, I i couldn't keep this off the list um it's too big a song and uh i i have some personal history with it which is yesterday why she Yesterday, love was such an easy game to play. You know, we we touched on it before. Like, it's one of those songs. It's like it's almost like again, like Paul just coming up with a melody and going like, Jesus Christ, man! Like, you know, how do you just keep hitting these out of the park? And uh, I, I got to a point where I could play this song. I, I learned to play it on piano, and I got to a point where I played it so much and got so good at it, I could do it with my eyes closed. The, the chord structure of this thing, plus you add in uh, the string section and to, to know that he started it off by like noodling around about scrambled eggs instead, before he came up yeah. with the lyrics is like, that's right. Uh, yeah. uh, it, it, just incredible. He just woke up with this song in his head. What a good choice. I mean, yesterday, I mean, it's not on my list because I've heard it a zillion times, but there's no doubt it's one of the one of the better songs ever written. I yeah. think it's been covered like I don't know two thousand times by different. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's some insane number of covers of this song exist for that reason. Exactly, I think it's considered the most covered song. Not you exclude like jazz standards, which are sort of a different thing, but like associated with one artist, and then had so many covers afterwards. I, I believe it has that record, although it might be hard to track. All right, Kyle, you're number two. Yep. So my number two, I was quiet when Dylan mentioned his number five song earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want you, she's so heavy. Um, again, you were kind of mentioning some of the good stuff. I don't probably need to spend too much time on it, but it's very simple. I mean, there might be 10 words in the song. I want you, I want you so bad. It's driving me mad. She's so heavy. I mean, I pretty much just yeah, spoke the whole song. The thing that really gets me about this song is that is the six, eight part, like the, she's so the heavy and then how it does that for an outro. It's a pretty long outro. It might be three or four minutes. But lately, whenever I hear that outro, I want to crank that thing up and I want to listen to it for like two hours. I just want to hear I want to sleep with that outro just over and over again. I do, I never get bored of it. So bring it, Beatles. Just keep playing it. It is impressive that you could have this instrumental that is very, fairly repetitive. 
for for that three minutes and it's yeah it's it's a vibe like that it's so like like i said angry in me and the fact that immediately after it because we're not flipping the sides of a vinyl record anymore uh is here comes the sun like you yeah know, one of the happiest things they've written uh yeah, yeah it's a it's yeah. a it's a really cool choice kyle i like it yeah great song number two dylan yeah, Kyle and I have a lot of overlap. Mine, mine is now moving something from his list way up, and that's in my life. Um, this is my number two. I just, I, I think that it's just, it's just, it's just a beautiful song. It's a different side of John's lyric writing where he's trying to be sincere, and I think it works. You know, um, it's very different from the "I Am the Walrus" lyrics. You know, and uh, it's just, yeah, it's just a gorgeous song. Again, the, the studio wizardry by George Martin getting that harpsichord solo down we, we we've said it all just great great harmonies uh vocal harmonies on this there's just it's just such a perfect little song and i i don't even how long is it two 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 and a half minutes it's 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 a quickie it's, it's just yeah just per, perfect little nugget yeah so yeah uh well my number two uh, has already come up which was uh, strawberry fields forever uh, again just to re- reiterate like how kind of masterful this is on so many levels it just feels like they're they're pulling out every trick they have and they're doing it, you know, 10 out of 10 each time to make this thing. It's just a, an incredible patchwork of, of a strange song. Um, and I would recommend if you if you're interested, go pick up the Beatles anthologies, which they put out, which is really just, you know, mostly just um, interim versions and early versions of these tracks. There's, I think, maybe two or three different versions of like, early versions of this song. And it's really interesting to hear what it sounds like before they kind of you know, kind of t- decided to go, you know, take it down the rabbit hole to Wonderland where, where it ends up. Always know, sometimes think it's me But you know I know and it's a dream I think I know, I mean, yes, but it's all wrong That is, I think I disagree let me take you down Cause I'm going to Strawberry Fields uh, Just a really cool piece of um, of writing. Uh, okay, so before we do number ones, are there any honorable mentions we feel like we need to get out there? Sure. I can, yeah, I, I can, sure. I'll bust out a few real quick. I hope that none of these are your guys' number one. So I'm not going to talk, yeah. I won't talk about them, but I'll just throw them out there. Uh, All My Loving, uh, Here Comes the Sun, Here, There, and Everywhere off a revolver, I'm Only Sleeping, um, If I Fell. I mean, the list goes on forever. Uh, For No One is is in there too, but uh, mm-hmm. It Won't Be Long, which is an earlier song. I'll stop there. That's plenty. Yeah. That's all good. Uh, my honorable mention, I'll put For No One on there. Um, I'll put Old Brown Shoe on there, great George song. I'll put um, She Said, She Said, great John song. Um, there's one more I want. Oh, got to get you into my life. I think that's a cool one and cool use of the horns. So those will be some of my honorable okay. mentions. Nice ones. Uh, I'm trying to think. What do I have here that has not been said already? Um, uh, Norwegian Wood. I would put up there. I think that's really mm. cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tomorrow Never Knows is an amazing yes, song. Very. Um, I it didn't make my list because I, I you know, I, I, I kind of had psychedelia covered with Strawberry Fields. This is sort of the beginning of that. You know, it's that like this is our first foray into, you know, getting into some weird shit. Uh, and it's great. Like um, th- it was used in Mad Men. I remember very effectively as this like bridge between like the early 60s and like, oh, no, we're things are going to start getting intense and weird 
on that show. And that's what it is. That's, that's one of their most, I mean, there's so many bands that were so influenced by that song. It's just, you know, the velvet underground, like, I mean, it's like you combine Bob Dylan and that song and, and you get the, 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 you know, Genesis of the velvet underground. Tomorrow never knows. I mean, the way that that song is the last song after revolver, which is truly like the end of the first half of their career. And it's interesting. One of the lines in, uh, and that song is this is the end of the beginning is what they say mm-hmm. and then the next yeah. song the next song on the next album is Sgt. Pepper's which sort of kicks yeah. off the second yeah. half of their career so it's the perfect transition yeah yeah uh so yeah did not make my list but uh, clearly a very yeah. important one so okay Kyle you're number one all right so I'm surprised that nobody picked this one yet so it makes me think that maybe we all have this as a number one but I don't want to be that hopeful so um to me this song is the best is the best Beatles song because it has everything. There's a ballad in there. There's a sing-along part. There's a drum solo. You guys might know where I'm going with this. It's the perfect way to end the Beatles' career. Uh, last song off of Abbey Road, pretty much, because we're not going to count uh, Her Majesty. Uh, but it's mm-hmm. it's the Golden Slumber Suite. So Golden Slumbers, Carry That Weight, The End, three songs mushed into one. Yeah, it's hard to separate that out into to three songs. I, I think that that back half of Abbey Road is so strong. It, it's just this like, again, it's like we're we're, we're taking a, a victory lap on this one, and because of the way the Beatles sort of had this, there's no clear end, right? You've got you know, they recorded Abbey Road last, so it's sort of the end, but then they released Let It Be afterwards, so that's kind of an end. You've got the rooftop concert, but you have. As you said, Kyle, this literal thing called the end, uh, with them saying, "In the end, the love you make is equal to the love you take." Or back, sorry, I had that backwards. Love you take is equal to love you make, yeah. and uh, like, what a perfect way to encapsulate their philosophy. Like, it's so good. Well, Kyle, you may get your wish because that is basically <laughs> mine too. I, I extend that. I, I thought you guys would be mad at me for cheating by by grouping songs together, but I would. I, I usually think of that. Sweet S U I T as as starting with you never give me your money. Um, yeah. So I have it from there to the end because they really do all flow into each other. My list was I realized was heavier on the John stuff, but this is where Paul comes roaring back because he really is behind all of those songs except for Polythene Pam, which is John. Um, but um, but that that whole sequence, second half of Abbey Road to close it out. Yeah, not Your Majesty. That's sort of a throwaway, but but. Um, that to me is like sort of the, the high point of the Beatles, and it's yeah, as you guys said, it's like the last thing they recorded, and um, it's uh, yeah, what a way to go out. Yeah, exactly. It's like you want to talk about going out on the top of your game. I mean, yeah. it's it's just from we've talked about kind of their strengths as as artists, and it really comes down to their strength as composers, and that yeah. is just a masterclass composition, start to finish. Uh, I'd, I'd put that up against anything. It's so strong. And, and uh, again, yeah, like you said, it encapsulates a lot about what makes them them. It also was from that period where it's recorded after Let It Be, but, you know, Let It Be working title was Get Back. It, th- at that point, 
you know, they wanted to retreat a little more from the studio wizardry and just get back to songs that, you know, would just work with guitar, bass and drums or piano in there as well, you know, and 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 so this, even though it's a little more produced than than some of the stuff that would be on the uh, Let Be album or whatever, but but uh, you, you know, at this period in their career, they've sort of moved past their high water mark of like studio wizardry with something you know like Sgt. Pepper's or, or or you know Strawberry Fields Forever or whatever, and now they're getting a little more back to their to their roots again. It's not maybe to the degree of the song Get Back or you know the one after Nine or Nine or whatever, but but it's um it's still just much more focused on, as you said, the, the raw naked songs as opposed to all the studio trickery. Yeah. So my number one, uh, interesting, I picked the other potential uh, end, and that is uh, Let It Be. I wake up to the sound of music. It does represent, you know, a one of the endings. So I'm glad you guys picked the other one, uh, so we can get them all in there. I, I, I when I was thinking about this, I was like, oh, I wasn't sure how I would count the end as an individual song, and you know, could I mush them all together? So uh, kudos to you guys for uh, just, just going for it and mushing them in because they totally work. <laughs> um, but yeah, as a single like individual song, th- this showcases again uh, the the strength of Paul's melody writing. Um, I think the message of it is you know, just, you know, it, it's again, the Beatles wanting to put you to bed, right? It's like, it's going to be okay. Peace, love, and happiness. And yeah, I, I just, you know, you listen to, every time I listen to it, I'm just like, how does a guy come up with this? It's so melodically strong and yet very, very simple. Uh, you know, I, this was neck and neck with Strawberry Fields for me. And I decided uh, I'd let this one be the the winner over the, the complex weirdness uh, to, for something more straightforward and heartfelt. Oh, such a good song. It's one of my go-tos. If I got a piano nearby, then let's just bust out mm-hmm. some from Let It Be in the <laughs> Kia C. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I think one of the best songs ever written. Not going to be in my on my list because I think it's... I've just heard it so many times, really. It's just so overplayed, but it can't get over how good of a song it is. Verse, chorus, great guitar solo. Uh, great way to... Another great way to end the Beatles' career. Uh, all right. So now that we've, we've done our list, um, guys... Uh, I'll, I'll ask the question I usually ask on this podcast is, you know, why do you think we are still talking about the Beatles, you know, all these years later now, you know, we're, we're now, gosh, almost 60 years now to their first album, the, the anniversary of please, please me. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's because it's just, it holds up. I mean, it's, it holds up. I make sure my kids know the Beatles. So my kids are what, 2016 and 13. And I make sure it's like a duty to me to make sure that not only for my kids, but generations a hundred years from now need to know the Beatles because they, they invented it all. And I, I do feel like it's going down. I feel like I've heard from my kids that their friends at school don't know the Beatles the way that our generation does. And, you know, we were all born seventies, eighties and we know it because of our parents, but I worry that at a certain point, 50 years from now, it's going to fade away. So we just got to keep it alive. Yeah, uh, I think that that we're talking about 
the Beatles still today because they they didn't just do one thing well; they did many things well. I mean, I think at the at the peak is their ability to write these melodies that are very memorable and catchy, but rarely ever cloying. You know, um, they just they're just they're just yeah it's just that's that perfect balance they really did make um tremendous innovations in terms of um you know harmonic ideas in, in in rock music in terms of what you could do with a studio and uh and i think that's another reason why they've endured is because they did spend so much effort on getting things right in the studio that was something that um by not touring they they had that advantage but 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 it's interesting that they're really a band that had two sides to them one was they were the biggest uh artists uh, you know in the world with you know they were the equivalent of you know what today the equivalent would probably be bts you know just somebody who has you know that level of just screaming you know million you know bts has like what like two billion views on youtube some of their videos you know that would be the equivalent in in, in the 60s but then you also have um this you know completely innovative uh archive of studio recordings that I, I don't know who you'd say today uh was that i'll say one more thing which is i do think that the beatles one reason why it would be hard to have another group at this juncture that would have that same impact is because they were really at the vanguard of a new style of music um in the 60s uh is really when rock and roll came in to its own is like just something that was totally unique and uh, disconnected from stuff before it. The Beatles are the number one reason why that is true. But today, uh, I don't know if it would be possible to innovate on specifically the rock and roll genre the way that they did because the genre is now 60 years older than when they were working on it. And I don't think that anybody since the Beatles has come in and made so many incredible changes to the genre as they did. And it seems that... To have that level of impact again, um, you know, a new genre that doesn't currently exist will need to be invented. So I think that's a big thing. Yeah. I, you know, looking back on their career, we've, we've done these lists now of 30 songs and fairly little overlap. And yeah. the the ability to write this many songs of this quality, you know, just you just you listen to these albums and it's just one just, you know, home run after another. Right. The the yeah. the average quality of these songs is so high that you combine that with the innovation that goes with them, and yeah, it's like it would be very hard to imagine someone pulling that off again. The same way it'd be hard to imagine, uh, you know, a Michael Jordan, you know, coming again. Like they, people of that level of talent in whatever field just don't come along very often. And I think that, you know, because of that, you know, even if their profile goes down a little bit, what you expect for anybody over time, I put them in a group with like Elvis and Sinatra where like that's still going to be around. Like, you know, every, everyone who at some point decides I'm going to learn a little more about music, you know, you're going to start at the Beatles. Like you, you can't, they're, they're too big and uh, you know, they're bigger than Jesus uh, as they said. Um, <laughs> You know, and uh, yeah, I think that's what's going to keep people coming back to them, which is like, you know, of course, these songs are going to get played. There's so many good songs that you're going to hear them. They're going to get used. They're going to get covered. They're, you know, they're going to be around uh, forever, I, I hope. And uh, yeah, I, you know, will will they be as good as, as the Ruddles were? I don't know. Um, <laughs> the Ruddles. Did you guys ever hear the Ruddles or no? 
Yes. I don't. No. What? What? What is that? The, the Ruddles. Uh, so this was actually a. It's actually really cool. If you go find it, go find it. It's a. It's a mockumentary called "All You Need Is Cash." That was. It's kind of like a a marriage between Monty Python and seventies Saturday Night Live. So it's got like Eric Idle and John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and uh, Michael Palin, like all these people working together. It was under Lauren Michaels, and. Um, so it was this joke version of mockumentary of the Beatles' career. And so like all the songs in it are like, you know, ripoffs or sort of, you know, pastiches of different Beatles songs. So they have a song like, please, please hold my hand, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, the songs individually are not that funny, but in the context of the um, the actual production, it's kind of a fun thing to watch. And George Harrison is actually in it. So yeah, there you go. Uh, so that's the Ruddles. That's the Beatles. Uh Guys, thank you so much for, for taking the time to do this. This is a lot of fun. Um, it's been a pleasure to revisit all these albums, getting ready for, for the show. And, um, yeah, Dylan, if uh, people want to find you, where would they find you? Um, well, you could, I have a website, dylanrist.com, that you can uh, go there and see the different things that I'm working on. And if you want to um, – anyone wants to have a party and hire a band that knows how to play all the songs we're talking about i have a band called the moon units it plays a lot of weddings and parties and events and we even do live band karaoke so you can sing these songs although we won't play all of them because you know strawberry fields live is not going to be good but (laughs) some of the other ones will be (laughs) anyway well i have a hunch that you're coming over to our place uh, on sunday we're gonna have a party we're gonna bust out a karaoke machine i have a a hunch some of these songs are gonna show up uh, they're just they're all in my head now so uh yeah kyle yeah. anything else uh you want to say before we sign off no this was great guys dylan nice to meet you doug great yeah, to totally. great hanging out with you as well and um i hope that this is well listened to and people can maybe re re-listen to all these Beatles songs and get reacquainted to uh all the greatness that they've given this world great uh all right so uh to close things out a little quick admin so if you like the show uh, follow us on Twitter at NostalgiumPod or uh, on Instagram. Those are our two portals. If you want to send us feedback, send them to those two social media locations. Uh, and so if you have thoughts on the Beatles or some of our other recent episodes, which include our last one on Fallen Angels, uh, DuckTales, Saved by the Bell, uh, or some of our upcoming stuff. So we're recording an episode on Rugrats real soon. Uh, and, uh, I think we're going to do one on don't tell mom the babysitter's dead soon as well. <laughs> so, uh, is it as good as the Beatles? No, but it's still a lot of fun. So one in one a, <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm right, on, I'm right on top of that Rose. I'm right on top of that. Rose. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, uh, until next time, that is one more entry in the nostalgia arcade. You were in the the Beatles, and uh, you did that um, album Abbey Road, and uh, at the very end of the song, it, it, the song it goes, uh, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. You, you remember that? <laughs> yes. Uh, is that true?
Yes. Yes, Chris. In, in my experience, it is I find the more you give, the more you get.